Hello and welcome to Not For Nothing. I'm Kyle Leon Henderson and today I have my other half, Ethan Howard Ham. Hello. Hello. So we have been, or I have been exploring grief in the last couple of episodes and to be frank, um, the all the other episodes about exploring grief were recorded in the first week and a half, two weeks after dad died. Mm-hmm. And this has been, um, this has been two months, two and a half months since dad died now. And it's been a lot. It sure has. So <laughs> I don't. Just say the least. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, um, to say the least, grief has really been hard. Like I, I recorded those episodes, the first episodes about grief while I was still sort of in mom's house and everything was fresh. And this is the first episode that I've recorded since coming back to LA, coming back to my real life, coming back to my job, coming back to you and coming back to friends. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's been a lot. So do you have thoughts on that before we delve into a little bit more? Just that portion yeah i mean i think i guess one question that i would have for you is how was it to come back and sort of look around you and see that you know things still carry on when you're in the midst of something that's so just makes everything screech to a halt like that Mm -hmm. um i felt hopeful (laughs) i mean i'm just gonna be candid about everything i felt hopeful that sort of my people would rally around me and just, you know, you hear these people who say when, when tragedy struck, it was my tribe that held me together. That is not the reality that I came back to. Mm -hmm. Um, that it just wasn't, I had friends who, uh, I had, let me start with Sarah, friend of the show, Michelle Castle, friend of the show and Michelle's new boyfriend. Well, not new anymore. They just celebrated a year, but, it was, we're, we're getting to a space now because of COVID where we're starting to get to know him a lot more. Yeah. Those three people were very, very, very kind and very just present in my life. There were several friends who were not. Yeah. And I, I, I tried to sort that out and tried to coerce certain people to come to the table for me because that's what I needed and they just wouldn't. And... You know, now looking back, I'm like, that wasn't what I needed. You didn't care to be what I needed. I mean, that's my truth. I mean, it might not be everybody's truth. It may not be 100% accurate, but that's that's my truth. Well, this is something that I've, in a strange way, kind of looked forward to talking about with you here on this episode. Mm -hmm. Because as has been the case with so many things you've talked about in this whole process and this series of exploring grief while you're in it, you cannot be the only person who's ever gone through this or who's even going through this exact thing right now, you know? Yeah. I mean, so many people have died this year. Um, my father died. He got COVID, but it wasn't from COVID. But people are like, did he die from complications from COVID? I'm inclined to say yes. Yeah. I mean, because I don't know how you could just completely you know, rule that out. Because he got COVID, went to the hospital, got over the COVID, but being in the hospital exacerbated his dementia in a way that 
would not have been exacerbated had he not been put in the hospital for this, that, and the other thing and kept exactly. there for so long without seeing anybody he knew because you cannot go to the hospital with your loved ones anymore because of COVID. And that just, that really rocked his dementia to a point where he couldn't come back from it. So yes, long roundabout way he did die of COVID complications, but it was not COVID. His death certificate does not say COVID. It doesn't, it says natural causes. And I don't want to get that conflated, but yeah, I mean, I can't be the only one who's going through this, but it, let's just go back for a second. Dad died and that's, that's the thing, you know, that that's hard enough to lose a parent. Um, and I feel like I am younger than you would expect to lose a parent. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you expect to have your parents into your forties and fifties, maybe, and I hope I do have my mother into my 40s and 50s. I'm just going to be honest. Um, I have a friend or had a friend who didn't take the time to understand that I might be in a delicate place in my life. And he did things that felt like a betrayal to me when I look back on it. When I, when I really see the whole situation, it felt like a betrayal. And... He apologized, but he didn't acknowledge that just because I do forgive you for what you did doesn't mean the sting and the trauma of it could be lasting a little bit longer. And you need to treat that delicately. That's kind of where I'm at. Would you say that that's pretty accurate? Yeah. And I mean, I know that for me personally, that's been one of the many things that I've learned sort of going through, because this has been a learning process for me too, is how do you be the kind of partner that somebody who is grieving needs, you know? Mm -hmm. And that has been kind of a big one for me, is that just because somebody says that you are forgiven, that doesn't mean that it's just, you know, done and dusted. Like, it's Mm -hmm. gone, I don't think about it anymore, and we're moving on. Like, that's not always the case. And even though the the person who did the wronging might really want that to be the case. Mm -hmm. It's not. Well, and that, and again, this could be just me being too wrapped up in my own pain right now. And I, I, I don't know, but the thing is I had another friend and I, um, this person is a friend of the show. Mm-hmm. Has been on the show several times, and we no longer speak. And um, and this one is the bigger one to me. And this was bigger because this person was my best friend. And I will say it's not Sarah and it's not Michelle because Sarah is my best friend. Everybody knows that she will be back on the show. Um, but I have several best friends in different little areas of my life, and this is one of my best friends. We've been friends for almost thirteen years, and we introduced the long-term best friend to this other friend who betrayed me Mm -hmm. and they became close and I didn't handle it well that this person did something so egregious to me at the most wrong time to do something egregious and it just it did not sit well with me that they that it it felt like they were picking someone over me like, cause I asked them, I said, I'm in a lot of pain. My part, my, my father just died. And now I'm like 
having drama placed in my lap that I don't need and I don't didn't ask for didn't and that's been my my word of the year or my phrase of the year I did not solicit this and I just said I just need you to sit with me in this for a moment and he said no mm-hmm. he said I won't I won't pick I won't do that I will not turn my back on this other person and I, I tried to accept that but it just hurt it hurt so bad that I felt like I couldn't trust my friends anymore. And it felt like all my pain and all my grief was getting wrapped up into one big ball of pain. I no longer had the, uh, the, the wherewithal and the, the ability to compartmentalize all the pain that I was going through. Yeah, there was a moment. Point. There was a moment where you were kind of having a dark, spiraling moment, and I was trying to talk you talk you through it. And I was telling you, look, this thing happened. This thing happened. This thing happened. They are not related to each other. They have nothing mm. to do with each other. And you literally told me, I believe you, but I can't separate them. It's all one thing to me. And I was like, oh, I see that. You know, like mm-hmm. it's well. It's hard, I imagine, to when something literally traumatic happens, anything else that might be even the least bit triggering after that can't be separated. It just all keeps snowballing. Well, and the thing is, we each come to the table of grief with our own set of rules, in a sense. Because what I was going over, and I think I might have talked about this on the show, I can't really remember at this point, but... Something that I learned with my therapist through therapy before dad died was that my sense of belonging is very fragile. Mm -hmm. Like I have never felt like I belonged anywhere, like truly belonged. And I was, I had said, now that I think about it, I think I have talked about it on the show, so I'm repeating it. Um, I've like in school, I was, I had friends, but I never felt like I belonged to my friends. And I was on the track team, and I, I have won awards for my high school track career. But I still didn't feel like I belonged on the track team. Like, it just didn't feel like the success was actually mine. Um, and I just never have. I never had felt that way at jobs, at anywhere, at this or that. And you know, I mean, mm-hmm. you can see now that that's very articulate of problems that have been through in my life. The whole time we've been together, like things just didn't sit well with me and didn't fit. And it's because I was always worried and Mm -hmm. always feeling left out and always feeling like I didn't belong somewhere. And now that I can articulate that, that's great. But the fact of the matter is with these two friends, they were the two friends in our bubble for COVID. Mm -hmm. And they were the two friends that we carefully allowed to come to our house and take their masks off yeah to just have some social in our lives with these two people yeah i felt like i belonged um but i did the research on what happens when your parent dies you're when you lose a parent you your sense of mortality is pulled to the forefront and you have to grapple with your own sense of mortality which is weird because that's been something i've been grappling with my whole life yeah and that is not something I've had to deal with with dad. I've not been, you know, I'm that just never, that hasn't popped up for me, but I guess it hasn't. And that's honestly not something that I've thought about. Uh huh. 
but it hasn't. But it's well, been something that I have has I know has been a thing for you since we've known each other. Mm-hmm. You know. Well, and my my therapist, she said in your intake form. Yeah. This is something that you had mentioned that you really have trouble with your own sense of mortality. She goes, can we talk about this? And I'm like, sure. And she goes, how do you feel? I'm like, feel fine. <laughs> like I, it just not, has not been a thing for me. And it might be because there was just before I could even sit in that so much else just piled on, piled on, piled mm-hmm. on. But that's the thing. When you lose, when you lose your fa- when you lose your mother, your sense of nurturing is rattled. Mm hmm. When you lose your father, your sense of stability is rattled. So that being said, I already have a preconceived sense of not belonging anywhere in my own life. My dad dies. That's exacerbated. And now my sense of stability is kind of very super fragile. And my friend betrays me. And I just, I lose it. Like Mm -hmm. this little core group, you and the two friends were my were in my head. I wrote that I wrote that down in permanent ink. These are the three people who's going to get me through this grief. Right. And instantly, that is not the case, and it will never be the case. Like my my sense of I'll be okay because of dot 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 was just completely erased, mm-hmm. and now I'm left to deal with it on my own. That's that's how it felt to me. And I don't know. I wonder for other people who've gone through this. Does it feel like things that have nothing to do with your parent dying was like, ooh, here's a here's a a drama train. Let's hop on and catch the next next car into town. Is what it felt like. It's just like people saw that my dad died and I was not okay with it, and they were like, okay, we can we can you know earmark this like a bill in Washington, tie that on, you know. Mm-hmm. That's what it felt like to me. Um, so finally, I just had to. Say goodbye. I it it was hard to lose two friends and all this, and I realized when I when I have told a few people, a few of my other friends that are not quite as close, that I lost my dad died and then I lost two friends. They're like, my God, you've lost so much this year. I'm like, they didn't die. I just had to send them away because they're drama. Yeah, <laughs> and so I've I realized I gotta you know be very careful about. <laughs> no, I did not. They're still there. They're just not my friends anymore. Um. And, and I, I tried to be as delicate as I could. I tried not to be like the angry, get out of my life. I just, I went about it with my sadness. I'm like, mm-hmm. I can't keep doing this. Like what you are now makes me sad. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I could not be stronger for this friendship, but I, I did not have the capacity and I will not force myself to do something that just feels wrong to me. Yeah. So you got to go. Well, then <laughs> two weeks after that, uh, I lost my job. <laughs> so I was wondering if we were going to talk about that. Too. Oh, we're going to talk about that. And I've okay. always called it day job. And here it is. I'm going to, I'm, you know, scorched earth on this point. It right. was Starbucks. I worked for Starbucks and Starbucks fired me. Yeah. So, well, yeah. Your boss at the Starbucks location that you worked at fired you. Yeah. I mean, my boss fired me. We were close. They did not. They didn't, they didn't seem to understand that my dad was dying. They were, could only see the inconvenience of right. this happening right now to them in their store when we're trying to really manage COVID. Mm-hmm. And because my dad died, I mean, I'm going to try to own as much as I can of it. But because my dad died, my capacity was diminished a bit. Um, so I made a mistake. I made one mistake and it cost me my job. So yeah. At this point, it feels very, um, 
it feels very spiritual. Well, I have some thoughts on that that we'll <laughs> that we'll get to later. Da, you know, it it does. It feels like okay, someone somewhere is trying to tell me something. Mm-hmm. And my my boss or not my boss, my therapist, she had said because while I was home, a lot of things came to the surface with emotions to my family and and um in the first grief episode I talked about how my relationship with my father changed in that week before he died like changed profoundly yeah and that that was wonderful that was blessed and sacred to me but my my um I was I was purging things that I needed to say with my family and I said them and things were like, I, I was much more open about you and me with my family. Like my, my family opened up and created a space for me to have my person there at this funeral. Yeah. And you were there, you were, you were standing beside me. You had your hand on my shoulder as they lowered my father's casket into the ground. And that I'm getting really emotional already about that. It's like, that means everything to me. Yeah. Like, and it does it, to me too. Like not to make this about me, but well, it is about us. Yeah. In, in a sense, um, because you're who I came home to. Yeah. And I, you know, the whole time that I was there with you and your family, mm-hmm. just the energy that they gave to me. And I mean, I feel like, I guess that should maybe clarify the reason why this is so precious to me and what they did, especially your mother meant so much mm-hmm. to me is because, you know, we come from the deep South. We come from a place where a relationship like ours is not always, you know, welcomed and accepted by each other's families. And yeah. And, and for you and me, that is the reality of mine and your relationship in correlation to our families. Mm-hmm. It's been a case by case, moment by moment, person by person, person by person assessment of, where we fit yeah. in each other's lives in correlation to each other's families. Yeah. And I, we will say my family is a little bit further along now than your family. And right. that's okay. I mean, that's just work left to be done. Mm-hmm. Having said all that to just be so welcomed and it wasn't even a, it wasn't even a question of whether or not I would be there. Mm-hmm. Like, Oh, of course Eden's here. Yeah. You know? And it, there was even a moment where your mother came to me while we were getting ready at your parents' house. I don't think I know about this. Yes, you do. Cause you were there. Oh, you told me it was happening. Oh, she said, I want you to walk with me. I want you and Kyle to walk with me. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of like, I mean, thank you, but shouldn't your daughter be doing that? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like, and that is eventually what happened. But that, even though I didn't, I didn't even think that that was necessarily the quote unquote right thing to do. But right. the fact that she, thought of me enough to suggest that Mm -hmm. just meant the world to me. I mean, and I don't want to speak too much on that situation with mom because a lot of that is private and I don't want to talk about that, but I, with mom, with my sister and with even extended family, they seem to be broken wide open. They saw how much I was hurting Mm -hmm. because you hadn't been there because you, the night that he died, my cousin Carrie, you know, we, 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 we have a bond that, mm-hmm. that is just deep and profound. And she was there and her mother was there. My aunt by marriage, aunt Kathy, but you know, aunt by marriage, they've been there your whole life. Yeah. There's no differentiation. It's, you know, 
both of them were very, and I keep using this word pastoral with um, me. They were, they were there to nurture me and to love me in that moment because, you know, my sister had Chad and her, her husband and um, my aunt, my mom's sister was there with her and my mom was, you know, with my father as he died, you know, Mm -hmm. and they were pastoral about that. My aunt, my cousin, and it was Carrie who called you Mm -hmm. who said he's, he's gone. And, um, you hung up the phone and booked a flight the next morning. So within less than 24 hours, you were there, but you weren't there when it happened. And that was, that was hard. I mean, and, and it was, it's not anything that I carry with me. It's just, it was the circumstances of our lives. We live away. We live far away. Mm-hmm. We knew you were going to be there. There were a lot of moving parts for, especially for COVID. Like it wouldn't, it wouldn't be a lot of moving parts if it weren't for COVID. Right. But we, we had a lot of moving, moving around, flying around, getting into place for the funeral type thing. Um, but you were there and it just meant the world to me. And, people opened up to that and they were like, Oh, they come together. Mm -hmm. This is it. This is the package deal in a way that they never have before. And it's still not the same as if I were straight and married to a woman or whatever, you know, but it's something it's progress. Yeah. I don't remember where we were going with this though. I don't either. But anyway, that's that was that was the bright spot. But anyway, that's what my my therapist, that's what it was. My therapist was saying, um, you seem to have been purging some old stuff with your family, like saying your truths and and she said something that you have always said, you've got to be prepared for you to get exactly what you want mm-hmm. out of this situation. She said it sounds like you showed up, said your truth and they didn't put up a fight. And I was like, yeah, they kind of just was there for me and that was beautiful um and it's hard to accept right when you have to spend your life fighting for something and then you don't have to fight for that anymore mm-hmm. or you don't have to fight for that in that moment i don't know what the future will hold um it's just it's weird it's hard to accept the good in the midst of all the bad but from that moment on we had said there's a purge there's a purge there's a purge and she asked me cuz i told her like i knew that i'd made this mistake at work and i told her i was like it might be a mistake that's fatal and she goes well i guess she said can you accept that the purge is true and that these friends this job everything could be included in this pur- great purge for yourself and i'm like it feels like I'm in a whirlpool and I'm having to hold on to the furniture to keep myself from being sucked out of this purge. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, it feels like I'm about to lose every, like this chair I'm holding on to just went down the drain with all, with my friends, my job, my, my feelings for my family, everything, you know, that's what it's felt like so far. And I'm trying to take this as a fresh start and a new beginning, but damn girl's tired. <laughs> You know, right. And I know you're tired because you've been there holding my hand, fighting it out with me every step of the way. I mean, you know, there's no place else I would be for that. But I have noticed a difference in you since you were fired. Yeah. Um, I was telling I was talking to my, my, my church buddy, Jim, mm-hmm. today. And I said, yeah, and he started crying. Did Actually, he? he did. Cause I said I had cried every day. Every day since the day my father died. And it wasn't always crying for my father. It was crying because my life just felt like it was crumbling Mm -hmm. around me. 
all the time. Something brand new was just coming apart. The wheel was coming off. And I was just so tired of running around the car trying to tighten the bolts to keep yeah. the wheels on. I'm exhausted. And I said, I told him, I said, and then the night that I got fired, I came home. And we had sort of known it might have been a possibility. Mm-hmm. We kind of hoped it wouldn't because. Yeah, it was kind of m- starting to look like maybe it wouldn't. Maybe it wouldn't. And my boss might not be such a narrow-minded person. Um, I mean, I'm sorry. I mean, sure, I made a mistake. And on paper, you look at my mistakes on paper. Sure. Which we've literally done. All, <laughs> yeah, I've got it right here. All, sure. My mistakes on paper, one, two, three. Over the course of the last nine months during COVID, yeah, you could anybody anybody in corporate America would say, yeah, you'd be fired for that. Yeah, that's but, the thing. Like my and you've heard me because I have been fired as well. Mm-hmm. I don't think we've talked about that yet on the show, but um, we will. We'll get to that yeah, because yeah, but the and the, well, I will say for about your firing, hindsight is twenty twenty, pun intended. I guess at this point. Oh my god. Um. Your firing was the best thing that ever happened to you. Oh, absolutely. It lit a fire that led you to this moment where you're living your best dream. Mm-hmm. I'm really hoping this firing for me is that moment for me. Mm-hmm. But how do you know when you're in it? You just got to right. keep moving forward. Yeah. And I'm going to move forward with instinct, hopefully, and mm-hmm. let That's it be it. the best the moment. But anyway. Just like we were saying earlier, just because you've forgiven somebody doesn't mean that it doesn't sting anymore. Um, I don't hold a grudge for any reason that I got fired, mm-hmm. but... I still think it was dumb. Yeah. Um, And this is the same thing that I told you when we found out that you were getting fired. Mm -hmm. In jobs like this, where it is very corporate-y and retail environment kind of thing, it doesn't matter if you show up to work and do absolutely nothing all day, your whole shift, and then you go home. As long as you show up and clock in and out on time, then Mm -hmm. you will be just fine. Yeah. It's always the last shoe to drop, the time and attendance, because you, you you missed something and you you miss something and you make a mistake and they're like well you weren't here this one moment when we wanted you to be here so you can go Mm -hmm, exactly forever forget the fact never mind let's not get into it (laughs) we could we could get petty about it but um but anyway so i told jim i was like we so it wasn't like just like this i mean it was a breakdown i started crying when they fired me. yeah like i was just like and good by the way and i was just like oh (laughs) You know, I did. And then I got out to my car and I was in my car alone. And I just, I mean, it was a visceral scream. Mm-hmm. Like I, I'm, I mean, how can you not, you know? And it's like, Oh my God, if someone heard me, they think I was crazy. Like a popping blood vessel scream. It really was like, it was like, it was bad. Like I was just like, what more can happen to me? And then I drove home in tears and okay. I'll just be honest with Starbucks. You get tips. And I had been working at five different stars, Starbucks. Mm-hmm. trying to catch more hours because I was an, I was a month behind whatever from the minimum amount of hours I needed to work to keep my health insurance. So that was what that all was. I got home still in tears and you weren't here yet. And I was just like, well, I can't just sit around here and you know, cry on the floor. So I was like, I've got tips at five different Starbucks. So I went on a mission. I said, I'm going to get Starbucks out of my life right now. So I'm going to go. And I went and collected all my tips and everybody's like, how's it going? And I was like, I've been fired. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, And then by the time I got back, I'd kind of pulled it together. And I was like, maybe this is my make or break moment. Maybe this is my, you know, change the direction moment, you know, getting fired like you had. Um, So it was just like exhaustion at this point. Mm -hmm. When I came in, I'm like, here I am. Yeah. And you were like, well, it happened. It happened. Yeah, here we are. Well, and then back to the point that I was making to Jim that made him tear up. I said, 
I had been crying every day for something on top of the fact that my father died two and a half months ago. And you said something that was funny. It was really Mm -hmm. funny, but you know, we know each other's senses of humor and I just started laughing. Yeah. And I just didn't stop laughing. And it was just so funny to me. And I wish I'd have, I wish I'd have thought about what you said. I forget what you said. Oh, I remember. Oh, do you? What it's was not going to be funny to anybody else. What was it that you said? Oh, I do remember. <laughs> I do remember. It was the Miranda Lambert thing. Um, anyway, yeah, it's not going to be funny yeah. to anybody. Because uh, I was watching The Voice. Yeah. <laughs> with, you know, Blake and Gwen. And then you said you made a Miranda Lambert joke. Yeah. I mean, we might as well say it at this point. Well, basically. Because, um, you know, people are going to be Miranda, like, what was it? Gwen, when she's making the pitch to get people on her team, she goes, you know, I'm a little bit country now. Yeah. And you were like, I wonder if Miranda Lambert just watches this and just like, I'm going to make Henry now. And the fa- just the image of Miranda with Lambert. With a glass of wine. With a glass of wine. And her hot husband sitting next to her. With her new hot husband still bitter about this moment. And she's whatever. just sitting there watching the voice. I'm going to make now. And, you know, that's a funny image to me. But I don't know. Like, that image, I couldn't stop laughing at Miranda Lambert being petty. Because I've always said I'm not really in true life when things actually matter. I'm not petty. I'm usually clear-headed they had a reason to do this. This is, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, not follows day, cause and effect. We learned it in third grade. I'm, I'm usually really, you know, cognitively thinking about things like that. But ever since dad died, I'm like, I feel the right to be a little bit petty. Mm-hmm. So everything that's petty just makes me laugh now. I'm like, yes, right. get petty. So I'm dying laughing and I just keep laughing for like five minutes. Mm-hmm. Can't breathe. Tears streaming down my face. And then I look over and you're getting emotional. And I said, what? And you said, I just haven't heard you laugh like that in months. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I haven't seen that joy in months and it feels good. Yeah. And I'm just like, it feels good to laugh out loud from my belly like that again. Mm-hmm. Because things just haven't been funny. And that's the thing for everybody this year. Things has just have things just have not been funny. Right. Things have just like there's a tinge of seriousness. You know, there's a veil of seriousness over everything we do. The election, COVID, job loss, working from home. If you've got kids, you're helping them through school in a way that you shouldn't have to. Because we have public education in this country and we have people who you're, you're working your full-time job from your desk and your kids are there too trying to do their full-time job with you. It's, I mean, everything is just so serious now. And that's where I was at. And it just, you know, it felt good for a moment. And I suspect that you were able to just let go because finally because... You kept waiting for those other shoes to drop, you know, friends and then mm-hmm. work. And then you finally got to the point where you were like, what's next? And then you looked around yourself and you said, oh, that's it. There's nothing else left. Well, I did say if you leave me, I will start burning buildings down and all across California. So please don't. So no pressure. But. <laughs> I mean, were you thinking about it otherwise? Nope. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, that's just such a... It sucks, but it's also such a liberating moment to realize, at least I'm done now, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, and that's what I said the day that I got fired. I'd gotten emotional again before I went to work, went in to get fired. Um, I was just like, they say when you hit rock bottom, the only way is up. And I'm like, I'm ready. I'm ready to hit rock bottom. Whatever that may be, just hit it because I can't keep living life like this, crying and getting confused about how I feel about things and... That's where I'm at right now. Well, 
it's funny sitting here talking about the whole friend thing. Um, I just had a new thought and I wanted to kind of share it with you and then we can take a break. Um, but I wonder, cause like you said, when you were coming back from Alabama, you were saying how you were ready for your friends to rally around you and your people to rally mm-hmm. around you. And you know, you just said that when you were saying those things, you were imagining it was going to be me and then our two former friends. Mm-hmm. But then you also mentioned, you know, you have Sarah and Michelle and uh, other people in your life who have mm-hmm. been there as sort of like a constant presence. And that was, can I, can I just give it, put a caveat on that? Mm-hmm. That was another upset for me was that I did have friends that were there mm-hmm. that were trying really hard to just be there for me. But that's what happens when you have, when you have these best friends who just don't show up in the way that you thought they were going mm-hmm. to, it just becomes so dramatic and it becomes such a disappointment that you forget to give attention and allow the other friends to show up. And once, yeah. once all that dropped, I felt like I was able to see the good in friendship mm-hmm. again. Yeah. That's, and that's, I mean, you know, that's, I wanted to sure, get that credit yeah. for that because I don't want people to think that I don't have friends. I do have friends, but it's just like, two of my very best friends in all the world are no longer my friends. Yeah. So, and you had those people who were there for you. And then, you know, we also have friends who we can think of who we just haven't, I know everybody has these relationships with people where you have these people in your life where you're like, man, I really like these people, but we just never hang out. Mm-hmm. It just can't, you just can't seem to make it happen. Yeah. And there's nothing like a purge of people in your life that you're like, Oh, now I do want to really invest Mm-hmm. You know, we can't right now because of COVID. Yeah. But once all that's said and done, we really do. Ha- we have some people in our lives who we want to like m- give some attention to, who we weren't able to before. Uh-huh. Now, my point for saying all that is, I wonder if you were putting so much pressure because it was pressure yeah. on our two friends who are no longer friends to be there and to be that for you. Is because a part of you knew that that was not going to happen. Maybe. You know? That's very interesting. Like I Because you didn't doubt that for one second with other people, with people like Sarah and Michelle. You were like Yeah, I and never not did. E- and it's also not as if you were taking them for granted. It's just that you were comfortable in the knowledge that they would be there for you. Well, and I, there there is a counterpoint to that, maybe the fact that the betrayal and then the choosing up of sides happened sort of while I was still in Alabama before I could get back here and they could show me that. But it, that is interesting that my subconscious might've been like, stand on this spot right here where I need you to stand or get the hell out of my life. Right. Cause you knew they wouldn't. Cause I knew they would never stand on that spot. Or you wondered at least if they would. Subconsciously, I was like, I don't know that they have the capacity to. Right. But then it's so fascinating because as soon as, as soon as my heart made that decision, people started showing up. Yeah, exactly. Because the people like the, the people you were describing, there's two friends we have that I know you were thinking of. Today is one of their birthdays, mm-hmm. the, the day of the recording. Um, he he wrote me, not the birthday boy, but his, his partner, wrote me and told me something right when I needed to hear it. He's yeah. like, I've been listening to your show, and it's it's fantastic. This grief, These grief episodes, I'm sharing them with my friends because I got a lot of people who've lost parents this year, and they need to hear this. And I'm like... I can breathe a minute. Mm-hmm. Friendship is, and that, and I'm so glad that I'm spiritual. I believe that things happen for a reason. I believe that God does have a hand in on things. Um, and that's just how I cope. If you don't believe sure. in God, that's fine, whatever. But the second I made that decision in my heart, friends started showing up in a big way for me. And I'm glad because 
these two friends just coming up short for me. I told you, I said, I'll never trust people. Mm-hmm. I'm, it's going to be real hard to trust people. Right. And thankfully I can, yeah. you know, I've, I've been able to trust people again because they showed up yeah. when my heart had the capacity, capacity to accept it. And I don't know. It, it does. It feels like a purge. So, well, that's called, that's caught you up on the pain of my life. Let's yeah. go take a bathroom break and then we'll be right back. Okay, we are back. Um, yeah, so now that we've established through grief, you sometimes hit rock bottom. Hmm. What next? <laughs> and well, we've been talking about this, you know, basically this throughout this whole process, but there comes a point where you have to start healing, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, yeah, it, it's interesting because... Um, I have another podcast that I do with my friend that's a priest called Theologically Speaking. Uh, You can find that on YouTube by searching St. Thomas the Apostle Hollywood on YouTube. Um, It's interesting because we look at life through the lens of theology that we talk about. And the last episode we did was suffering. And he was nervous. He was like, do you want to just not? Because you just lost your dad and you're just like doing all this. And it's funny because I was like, no, I, I really want to live wide open. I want to I want to talk about this. So we talked about it. And then things just kept getting worse and worse and suffering more and more. And um, this last episode that we did was the theology of healing. And it was just interesting that it sort of ran parallel to my life. And now I, I, I don't have anything else that could go wrong. I mean, you know, I've got to rebuild. I've got to heal. Um, I've taken some time to actually start. Like I was telling you the other day, I was started, you were like, you're sad. And I was like, I'm, I just started replaying the day of my dad's funeral or just started replaying the night that he died, you know, in my head. And it just, you know, it, it allowed me the space to start really sort of going back to that moment and picking it apart and learning from that too. So I'm I'm in a space of healing, and you had had thoughts that you wanted to share with me, and I thought, well, why not share with everybody at the same time and let us hear those thoughts about healing? So yeah, and take it away. I will. Um, and it's funny where things come from when mm-hmm. you need them, you know. Oh yeah, they come from like the healing can come from a, gr- a grasshopper on the ground or something. It can right? come from anywhere. And for me, it came from uh, a class, a virtual class that I was taking mm-hmm. with Aveda. Um, it was, it's interesting when I think about it more. I feel like this whole less earth lesson about healing was basically the reason for me to take that class. Really? Because when I think about what, it was a three-hour class um, that I was watching via Zoom while it was also working in the front desk at the Aveda salon I work at. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you've got more jobs than most people. Because so. uh, that just happened to be the time that this class was being held, mm-hmm. and I wanted to take it, and it was free. Yeah. So I was like, I'll just watch it while I'm working. Mm-hmm. 
and because they don't know, they don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> they don't have to know; it's free. You can't be mad at me. Um, and it was a three-hour class. And as I look back on what we talked about in that class, I was like, that was basically useless, except for this, <laughs> because I was all excited about it too, because it was about it was supposedly about like massage techniques mm-hmm. and how they pertain to Aveda, and it was really mostly about and as we humans do you're like well how does this pertain to my life right now and you're like ah that part (laughs) well no because i wanted to take the class because we do some massage you Mm -hmm. know and and the various uh, establishments that i work at when i'm doing a facial we do some element of massage yeah for sure and then you know once i start working just on my own i also would like to incorporate some massage Mm -hmm. so i'd like to learn as much as possible and there was very little about actual massage. And so it was, for your actual purpose of this, it served none of it. Yeah. It was more about so, like, you know, so what did you, how, get, what how did to you, do, um, like how to do an Aveda service as it yeah. pertains to massage. And I was like, Duh. well, I know that. So how did you, what did you, what you did garner? How did, how did that go? Well, uh, the instructor at one point started talking about how uh, Aveda does things like any kind of service that Aveda does. They look at it from a holistic point of view. Mm-hmm. And when I say holistic, I don't mean like, you know, uh, tea, reading tea leaves and you incense mean and all that. On the I whole. mean, like on the whole, holistic. Yeah, yeah. Um, because Aveda is crunchy and hippie and all that, but it's I like also it. their oil, their hair oil is my favorite product I've ever used. There you go for anything, even toothpaste, even medicine. We have a glowing review, medicine. <laughs> um, we were talking, or he was talking about how they look at things holistically mm-hmm. and about how, you know, if somebody comes in for massage and they're complaining of uh, a pain in the shoulder, it can often be traced to like, well, how are you sleeping? Or how mm-hmm. it can be traced to like, how is this person standing? And where's the weight they're putting on their feet? And then they, and then beyond that, it can be traced to like, you're holding tension in your, in your shoulder. Um, and that is leading you to, be irritable and maybe lose sleep and it and that builds the stress further because you're losing sleep like everything is connected mm-hmm. and he started talking about how once you can figure out the base cause of the root cause of something mm-hmm. and you start treating that then the rest kind of starts to just unravel and fall into place and then you can start treating those other things too yeah and it just clicked in my head this stuff that we've been talking about in this episode about purging and everything. Oh, I can't wait. Do you have solutions for me? I mean, I don't, I don't know if I necessarily have solutions. I hate Please to, dis- I hate to disappoint answer. you. Please be the answer. I can't do it anymore. But it was just kind of a thought of, for me about like, oh, that really is what it is. Because we've been, mm-hmm. that's something that you sort of mentioned almost in passing when you came home after getting fired and then collecting your tips. You were like, well, this is the rock bottom. So now what? How do I heal now? Yeah. I was like, oh, this is it. This is how he. This is how he heals. Mm-hmm. It's a holistic thing. And now he has. He's not going to be able to help it, but to heal because there's nothing stopping him. Yeah. There's. I mean, every obstacle that I could have towards being quiet and listening to myself and listening to my instincts is gone. Yeah. And I will say I am nervous because I really want my next move to be the right move. And I know that that is sort of misguided, probably. Um, but yeah, that's that's where I'm at. I, I, I'm just going to, you know, meditate on it and 
hope for the best, really. Yeah. But that just, in a way, that that thought kind of brought me comfort. Because mm-hmm. it's like, oh, everything really is connected. And all of these things that have been, that have been bringing you, you know, undue stress and distracting you from what it is that you needed to do to heal from the passing of your father, but also distracting you from what it is that you really want to be doing with your life. Yeah. That, that, that was where it showed up. That showed up the, and in my therapist, she said, well, if you're a a spiritual person, she goes, I find it very interesting that your life has just been turned upside down sort of because your father died. Like mm-hmm. everything in your life has just gone wrong because your father died and you've made so much peace with your father dying in a lot of ways. And now you got to make peace with the other stuff. She said, what if this is all a cons- a conspiracy of spirituality to actually propel you where you're going? Yeah. And I'm like, maybe, and if and if it's not a conspiracy, it's definitely an opportunity to, and you know, and I, you have to give up a little bit. Like, I can't I can't be nervous about my next move. I just mm. gotta go do it. Yeah, just like what feels good, go do it. Yeah, because eventually you will start to listen to your instincts at some age, and and I think I've always been somebody who tries to listen to my instincts and then I realize sometimes that my instincts I wasn't listening to them Mm -hmm. I was shushing my instincts for this moment like let me just get through this moment and then I'll follow what my instincts is telling me I gotta I gotta get through this moment for the paycheck I gotta get through this moment because I have a commitment to my friendships I gotta get through this moment and then I'll start listening to my instincts and I think I think I gotta stop and listen to my instincts and I think that's very common. You know, I feel like the vast majority of people out there, myself included, go through that. Where mm-hmm. they're like, oh, once I do this, this, and this, then I can really just sit back and listen. Yeah. But there, there's always going to be more that you could conceivably be waiting for before you can start listening. Well, there's always going to be a reason not to do what it is you should be doing. Yeah. Or what it is that would make bring you so much joy and bring you fulfillment. And... You know, I've I, I felt like I was shortchanged. Mm-hmm. I still do. I'm coming to terms with the fact that because I told you something early on, and I'm having to do it myself because there was parts that you played in my lack of support as well. Mm-hmm. I'll, that's all I'll say on that. Um, but you heard me, and you made it right, and you are you have become what I spoke about in my mom and Aunt Sandra's episode a fantastic grief partner. I I told you early on, like you did this thing and the quicker you accept that that is now part of your story, the quicker we can just let it be there and not have to get all weird about it when we talk about it. Yeah. And I'm in a space now where I'm like, okay, my dad died. My friends betrayed me. I made the decision to send them away, even though they were like, you're being dramatic. You're causing us all this drama. And I'm like, well, you're causing me all this turmoil, so I'm sending you away. And then I lost my job, and it's like, I can't unwrap, I can't unpack that anymore. I can't unpack the pain. I've got to just acknowledge that this happened to me. This is part of my story. What am I going to learn from it and move on? Mm-hmm. That's what I've I've realized that you know you have to accept what happens to you, no matter how unfair it is, because a lot of the stuff that happened to me was just 
it just wasn't fair. Mm-hmm. It wasn't fair that I had to deal with this shit at this moment in my life. And that was something that I think you had a really hard time it really coming to was. terms with. I, I, I said, I just, I can't take another thing that I didn't solicit. I did not solicit this. Why did my friend do this to me? Why did he choose that other friend? Why did he do all this? Like, I didn't solicit this. All I wanted was loyal friends who were going to stick by me when my dad died. How hard is that? Like, that's where I was. And now it's like, all right, there's nothing more that can come up that I didn't solicit. Mm -hmm. Right. Everything that happens from here on out, it will be because I solicited it. Yeah. And that, that's that's power. Mm-hmm. Um, or it just feels powerful. It feels nice because mm-hmm. I think everybody wants to control their own life a little bit. And Well, and I think, too, you were talking about listening to your instincts. Mm-hmm. I kind of feel like you're good at listening to your instincts until your instincts tell you, hey, guess what? You're about to get what you want. Oh God! And then yes. you're like, "Oh, well, that can't be right." And that's then you not, go do something else. <laughs> that can absolutely. Well, that's just that is that is you know snake oil salesman right here in my own heart. I can't be that can't be right. I'll never no. And you you said it. You always say it. You have to be prepared to get exactly what you want sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I I wrote down actually it's on this page right here. Uh, I wrote something down yesterday, a list of things that have to be acknowledged when I'm, when I'm deciding my next move. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it is some of it specific. Um, here's the truths. Here's what, like, what is the truth about what I want out of life? And I just wrote down buzzwords, improv. I'm an improv actor, television. My dream job would be to work in television. I'd like to have a show. I'd like to be on a show. Um, so I wrote improv, television, create, Mm -hmm. passion. And then at the end of the list, I put dig a little, dig deeper than I ever have. So improv is where I, is where my heart is. I want to do improv. The gig that it would, that that could lead me to would be television. Right. That's the dream. Mm -hmm. If those are not available, what else? Create. I want to be a mm-hmm. part of creating something. If if something if it's not exactly that passion, something that I'm actually passionate about. Yeah. I don't care that you, your coffee's wrong. Right. I don't care. Like I do care. I cared, but now I'm just like I don't. Because like when I got back, it was so funny. People were laughing at me because I, I had a weird face. I didn't. I never said any of it out loud. But this lady, she, I'd put whipped cream on her, on top of her iced coffee or whatever. And the recipe called for it, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, And she goes, can you, can you scoop off the whipped cream? I really didn't want the whipped cream. And my whole, my whole body convulsed. And I was just like, you dumb bitch, just eat the whipped cream. It's not that big a deal. And then she goes, I'm also waiting on a scone. I'm like, what do you want lady? Will you please leave? Get out of here. Like just what do you think this place is? What do you think? Who do you think I am? I like, I'm not your servant, but that's how my body was. But I was like, I'll check on that for you. Yeah. So passion. I want to do passion and then be willing to work harder than you've ever had to work is mm-hmm. where my, is what I'm telling myself. Those. So when I make my next move, it's like, does it fit any of these words? 
I mean, I don't think it's going to be dig deeper than you ever have. I don't think that's going to be like the top of the list. You of never like, know. But no, what I mean is like, hey, we have a we have a job in construction. I'm going to be like, dig deeper than I ever have. All right, I'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm going to, you know, it's improv, create, passion, television, something. Mm-hmm. Something. That's where I'm at. That's what I'm trying to do now. I just wrote it down like the truth. That's the truth for me. And I don't know. I don't mm-hmm. know if that makes any sense or if it is even helpful to you, me, or anyone else out there listening. But that's just what I wrote down because I'm trying to start speaking my my truths out loud and living my life and in a way that allows for people to hear what I want so that I might actually get it. Yeah. Because I think a lot yeah. of people, more than people think, I think a lot of people keep these things that we truly want to be doing cl- so close to the vest mm-hmm. that no one hears it. Not even ourselves after a while. After a while, you, you, yeah, you keep it so close you don't hear it. But I'm just saying, like, if I, if people were like, what do you do? And I'm like, I am an improv actor who is passionate about creating and I'd love to work in television one day. That might be said to someone who could be like, you know what? We're casting. Mm-hmm. Come to the casting call or right. whatever. You just never know when speaking your truth out loud might lead to something or at least that's my inst- my my suspicions right now. I'm I'm mm-hmm. gonna you know I'm leaning into suspicions and trying anything, you know. That's where I'm at. I mean, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> that's that's what I've what I've come to. And I mean, I can healing. tell you, I can tell you from personal experience that once you start doing that, once you start moving, like actively moving toward what it is that you want for your life. Mm-hmm. Um, and you acknowledge it out loud and you tell people about it, those opportunities will come. Sometimes they'll come when you're not ready for them. And that has to be okay with you, you know? Like me, I've had a couple of opportunities come up to me that I was not in a place to accept yet. Mm-hmm. Like literally, like I didn't have enough money to do it. There were various reasons why yeah. I wasn't able to do those things yet, but those opportunities were coming to me. Yeah. And that has to be what you focus on. You know, you can't be like, well, it's not time yet. You mm-hmm. gotta be like, wow, thank you for that. Well, I'm not ready to do this yet, but uh, you know, there's I'm just keep never working. any time to, there's never a good time to get exactly what you want because exactly well, what there you are want. better times, <laughs> but I'm just saying, I just don't think there's any good time to like, like it's going to disrupt something. Oh yeah. When you get exactly what you want, you're mm-hmm. going to have to give up the things that you don't want that you are sorely invested in. Yeah. And, you know, it's not going to be like, I mean, maybe not. Maybe I have nothing going on. I am <laughs> sitting here ready for the rest of my life. Someone please come lay my dreams on me. Mm-hmm. I have nothing to, I don't, I won't have to quit a job. I won't have to answer to anyone and I do need the money. So, well, and that's the thing too. That's the other thing I was going to say is sometimes like working actively toward what it is that you want doesn't have to be so tunnel visioned as if it's not a job in Hollywood that I'm not taking it. Right. You know? And that's not, that's not what I'm, that's not where my heart is either. Um, I'm not. And obviously we live here. We know better Hollywood. I mean like in quotations, if it's not a job in Hollywood. Yeah. Because you know, you did have somebody who very graciously offered you a chance at a job that would have been miserable for you. <laughs> and when you told oh, me, yeah. and when you told me about it, I was like, that was very nice of them. Don't do it. You know, like Mm -hmm. it's true that you might have lost your job and it's true that you might not have any income coming in right now, but don't take this job. Right. Because you you just have to, even though it might be fighting against every bone in your body to be like, I'm going to turn down a job when I need one. Mm -hmm. 
you but have that's to know thing. what is in alignment with what you're doing. And and this is I, it does feel like an opportunity to 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 make a move that will put me closer to a life that I want. Mm-hmm. Because I didn't realize because like working for Starbucks was it was good till it wasn't. COVID mm-hmm. hit and people lost their minds. Yep. Certain people. And um, I mean, and, and I don't want people are like, ooh, Starbucks. Like now, because my friends are like, oh, do you want to, you know, yada. I'm like, I don't want to be someone who hates Starbucks. And I don't. I don't hate Starbucks as a concept. Yeah. Starbucks, probably, the company, didn't really do this to you. They tried to, to do whatever they could for their employees. And unfortunately, you know, we always we always seem to work for the bad apples. We do until we don't. But yeah, I mean, I'm I, I'm not I'm not sitting here on this episode, this last episode about grief, dealing with healing, to be like I'm healed, I'm here, I'm whole, I have yeah. I have learned my lessons. I'm still learning. Like I'm just as confused as I've ever been, in a lot of ways. But I'm ready to learn. Ready to ready to acknowledge any mistakes that I might have made, ready to deal with the fact that my father's dead. And I know that sounds harsh, but I was I was uh, looking at Megan McCain's Instagram, and she has this like I don't know it's artwork. It looks to me it looks like artwork from Coco, uh, mm-hmm. but it says Dead Dad Club, and somebody was like that's so harsh, and I'm like I get it. Yeah. Your dad dies. You kind of go into this space where you're like, like Harry Potter seeing the Thestrals. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you have this deeper and more astute awareness on exactly specific things that people around you just don't have because they haven't been through exactly what you've gone through. And that's where I'm at. And it, it's hard to keep navigating the same world you lived in before your parent died with a higher awareness and a, and a deeper sense of urgency to live an authentic life because you're shaken by the notion that life is very precious. And everybody knows, quote, I'm using air quotes, knows life is precious. My dad died as my mother was kissing his face and my sister was rubbing his chest and I was holding his hand. I was there in the moment that one second I was holding my living father's hand and the next second I was holding my dead father's hand. Mm -hmm. And it was just, that was it. I'm, you know, I'm going to take all of that and move forward, you know, and I'm going to probably cry some and probably laugh a lot and hopefully make good choices. Well, I guess that will do it for, my exploration of grief. I I think I wanted to explore it and untangle it and, you know, examine it deeper. I don't really know that I know mo- more than I did when I started. Um, right. Yeah. Um, I just really like that you've done this because I think that that's kind of the point in a way mm-hmm. is that when you're going through something like that, you don't, arrive at this moment where you're like, Oh, I get it now. And then you're fine. You know, mm-hmm. it's just a day by day. thing. Well, and what's interesting and anybody else who's going through this, uh, I, 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 this is not my, this is not my assessment. This is not anything, 
But again, working at Starbucks, I was gone for a month and all of, a lot of my regulars who come in, they're like, you've been gone, yada, yada. And I'm like, yeah, my dad died. So, you know, I, I was honest with some of my friends, the regulars that would come in and at least 10 people who've lost a parent, don't, they don't know each other. They're just, they, the only thing they have in common is they would get their coffee from me. They told me, they said it takes a year. Mm-hmm. It takes a year to feel normal again. And it's not like you're going to feel the normal before he died. It's just you realize that this is normal and that's okay. And it takes a year. And I'm like, really? A year? Okay. I was hoping that I would not cry for no reason <laughs> for a long, long time from now. But I guess I will. Um, so, yeah, that's that's just my input to anybody out there who's going through this. I've been told that it takes a year. So by by various people, they're like, nope, it took me a year. Yep. So put that on your calendar and work, work, work damn hard to get there is all I can say. But yeah, I mean, I just want to thank everybody who has been there for me and everybody who has reached out and everybody who has told me that this exploration of grief has actually helped and Mm -hmm. actually been insightful. And I'm going to continue, I'll continue talking about grief and, and, you know, loss and what you find from that in the days and weeks to come because this show's been on a hiatus and it's been kind of sporadic but in the new year it's going to be a regular consistent thing for me thank you for for just being my grief partner and just you know taking whatever because you don't ever know you don't know what you're waking up to every morning with me in grief right now I might be like I just don't know why I don't have shoes (laughs) And it's just, it has to be okay. It just has to be okay with you or, you know, thank you for enduring this storm that is grief. Absolutely. I, I see the sunshine on the horizon. I do too. So anyway, thank you everybody for listening. Uh, thanks for all the comments and everything. And, you know, the next episode's probably going to be a really lighthearted episode. Mm-hmm. We'll do something fun. For now... Everybody take good care of themselves and everybody keep wearing your masks. Keep following the CDC regulations on what we should be doing for COVID. And I'll see you next time. (laughs) 